Welcome to the Business Equation Podcast with Nick Bogaz. Nick went from working five jobs and over 90 hours a week to building a multi-million dollar internationally known pizza enterprise. He never stops. He refuses to fail. There's power in his pen and today there's power in his mic. Strap in as Nick solves another equation that will guide you towards success in your practices. Now, here's your host, Nick Bogaz. Welcome back to the Business Equation Podcast. I'm Nick Bogaz. I've got a great guest today, author Michael Michalowicz. He is a small business author who hits major topics. He's been doing it for the last, at least the last 20 years as far as an author. I mean, he is fantastic. I think you're going to really enjoy it. He's got a lot of a lot of good viewpoints. It's a uh, quick 20-minute interview, and uh, we hit a lot of different things real quick, and, and his perspective is fantastic. I think for anybody in any spot that has uh, cash flow problems, he goes right at them. So if, if you're one of those people that's looking at your bank account and wondering how to uh, keep more of it, this is going to be a great interview for you. And if you're enjoying the Business Equation podcast, make sure you hit us out on all the social media links, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, nickbogaz.com. And also, please rate and review the podcast. But for now, strap in, because here we go live with Michael McCallowitz. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Nick. It's good to see you, brother. Yeah, it's great to have you. Would you mind giving our listeners the 411 on who you are and what you bring to the platform today? Sure. So uh, I'm an author guy. I write small business books. Uh, my most popular books, Profit First, and you can see them. I got them behind me there, clockwork and so forth. And uh, just on a mission, a mission to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. It's all these entrepreneurs, myself included, that start a business with this big dreams, big fantasy, thinking we'll make millions, you know, sit at the beach drinking Mai Tais as the business generates money for us. But the reality is that struggle, no money, no time, we're working our ass off. That, that gap between is what I call entrepreneurial poverty. And uh, it's my commitment to fix that. And, and I think from digging into your readings and your teachings, I think um, you're definitely, definitely pushing right towards that. I think um, what I found so interesting is I was familiar with your work. And then when I started to revisit it again, it just hits home, especially um, in like definitely the first few years of my business for sure, where... I, you know, robbing Peter, Peter to pay Paul and thinking I have yeah. all this money in the bank and then taxes are due and then everything else. And um, so yeah. how do you, how do you coach young entrepreneurs through, through all of that to kind of make it have realistic ideas and realistic expectations? Yeah. And it's funny, you know, I think they have realistic systems, systems that can manage them, but also unrealistic mm -hmm. goals. I, I think when we try to fall within the confines or the parameters of what the industry expectations are, we fall short because the only way to stand out and really be successful is to break the industry rules, to, to challenge the industry norms, to redefine a category. So we got to break out, but we do have to run our business off to your point, like these fundamentals. And um, the big one, we all have heard it is, you know, spend less than you make. It, it literally is that simple, but it's hard to maintain. So th that's why I wrote Profit First. The real basic principle is this that most businesses consider profit last. You know, the, the formula we're told, it's your sales minus expenses results in profit. We call it the bottom line or the year end. And that's bullshit. It's not because the problem is most businesses are never profitable. So that formula doesn't work. Profit doesn't just magically appear one day. It's something we need to bake into our business. In fact, I say profit is an event. I'm sorry, profit is a habit, um, not an event. 
Profit is something we bake into our business every day. It's not something that happens as an eventuality. You know, it's not something that happens in the future. So in practice, I think one of the business fundamentals is every time revenue comes into your business, actual cash deposits, you take a predetermined percentage of that money, allocate it away, hide it to a profit account. It's the pay yourself first principle, apply the business, run your business off the remainder. And now you're going to be making more than you're spending. As money flows in, you'll be keeping a portion and you won't be spending all of it. So that's one of the systems to stay within good business fundamentals. Well, I think there's so much truth to that because I, I know when I would just look at my bank account and I'd be like, okay, I have um, all this money and then I would spend, spend, spend. And yeah. then, you know, I'm like, I would think, well, I can never go through all this. Like, you know, I've never had this much money in my account before. And then a month and a half later, I'm running around trying to figure out where to, how much to pay. Yeah. So, you know, re, re uh, you know, I actually re-listened to, to Profit First before, you know, the last couple of weeks here. And that was the thing I just kept chuckling about. I'm like, it's so true. You look at all this money you think you have, and then it, it just goes uh, to the wayside. And I, it almost I seems like it's yeah. like there's some kind of like magical force monitoring it. So most businesses over time, our income goes in a trajectory. Hopefully up, it's up and down. But it seems almost uncannily our expenses pace exactly with it. It's like, how can this be? Uh, and then we hope, well, one day it'll just, it'll just pop. Everything will click. And it, it won't. It never will. It'll continue that pattern. The reason is this thing called Parkinson's law, and it's a human behavioral pattern. Parkinson was a behavioral theorist, I think from the 1950s. And what he argued is as a supply of a resource increases, we consume more of it. Uh, I like cookies. You put one chocolate chip cookie in front of me, I eat one. If you put 15 in front of me, I eat more than one. The supply is dictating the consumption. And this is true for cookies. It's true for time. That's where most of his research was. If, if you and I are negotiating a contract and you give me one week, you know, I say, I'll get the, the contract in one week, it'll take me a week to get it to you. If the same guys have the same discussion with the same parameters, but I say, I'll get to you tomorrow, I'll get to you tomorrow. So as we compress the availability of time, we work more efficiently to deliver on our promise. Well, this is true for money. So what happens is, and then why it phenomena is, more deposits come in, we have more supply, more cookies, our business consumes more of it. We simply say, oh, I can afford that now. I can get that person. Oh, I need the technology. That's human nature. That's an emotional response. I have, therefore I can do. But then we backfill with logic. I need an employee and that means I want to work as much. We can scale and grow. I need the technology and that means more efficiencies. I can scale. We always justify those purchases, but they don't deliver on our, on our expectations. What Parkinson argued is if we put a gap in, if, if, if money comes in or time, if we take away a portion of that, instead of promising a week, if we intentionally promise only a day, we'll have to turn around faster. If we take our profits out first and hide them from the business, there's less money to spend. Our expenses can only go so high. So it forces us to work within those parameters. And does that fit into the small plate theory as well? Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's right. I call this concept small plates. Uh, it's the envelope system is a, is a more popular term. I call it plates because of just the parallels to Parkinson, but the, the envelope system is this. It is an old world system that you cash in a check from work, or whatever, and you have literal envelopes with different words like food, rent, or mortgage, uh, give back to the community. And when you had your money, you divide up based upon percentages. When you went food shopping, my mother used the system. When she went food shopping, she grabbed the food envelope and she'd arrive at the food store and that was your budget. You'd work with what was in there. And it, it was volatile income. You know, if you worked overtime, there was more. Uh, if you were sick and you missed a week, there was less. But you worked with what was there. This is the same system. 
money flows in your business. And as business owners, our business income is volatile. It's always the same percentage. It's as volatile income, meaning as the money gets carved up and profits one account in the profit first system, there's multiple. You then work with what you have available to spend on the business. And if it's less there, we have to work with it. We're shopping with less, but you got to work with it. If there's more there, maybe there's an opportunity to grab that thing you always wanted or needed, but you always work within that envelope. You never dip your hands into the other envelopes like profit and other things. What about if there's somebody that's gotten into a lot of bad loans or they've gotten into the place where they're just not financially comfortable and they can see that the business is, is headed in a really bad way? Where, how do you tell them to, to turn it around real quick? Or, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't turn around real quick. And I think that's right. what people are looking for. We're, we're looking for the, uh, the overnight turnaround. We're looking for the quick solution, the quick fix. And uh, that can become a very desperate situation. So if your business is in a bad way, has accumulating debt, you don't know how to get out of it. There is ways to take small steps consecutively that will get you out quicker than ever before. The process is resequencing your debt. And what you do, and this is, uh, I derived this from Dave Ramsey's work in uh, Total Money Makeover. Basically what he argued is, if you have lots of debt, what the traditional approach is to sort debt by interest rate. Higher interest rate debt should be paid first. And that makes total logical sense. We just gotta remember, us humans, we're, we're more emotional and behavioral than we are logical. What he argued then is sort your debt by smallest physical amount due, the principal amount, smallest amount due to largest amount. And then, pay all the debts to maintain them. So whatever the minimum is to maintain it, do it. But the smallest debt, target all of your remaining money to eradicate that debt as quickly as possible. Because it's the smallest debt, you're going to wipe that one off pretty quickly. Now, when that one's wiped off, you take the minimum payment you were paying to that smallest debt and you add it to the minimum payment of the next biggest debt. And now you have two minimum payments hitting a debt and you start targeting that one. Then once you do that, you do now have three minimum payments for the next debt. So what happens is this snowball effect, as he calls it, where you start getting more and more progress. Now, if you look at the logic behind it, it's not a logical approach because we should be caring for interest rates, but behaviorally early wins is a big deal. Mm. So if we start seeing results, we start believing in ourselves and we got to uh, win that trust of ourselves back. So that's the process I suggest, not just to personalize as uh, Dave Ramsey talks about, but I applied it to business. I call it the debt freeze and the debt snowball and do that, uh, that one-two punch in your business and you'll get out of debt quicker than you would have normally and you'll do it the right way and permanently. So there's a lot of places where personal finance and business finance can come together then. Oh, but yeah, particularly for small business, right? Like, it's like gears meshing. If I'm, ha if I'm struggling financially at home, my business is going to be struggling because it's going to try to carry me or vice versa. If my business is struggling, I'll try to be pulling money in the other direction. So you have to be you have to have financial acuity on both sides. You need simple systems for both sides. It's funny how, funny in a non-funny way, how many people I've met now that have improved their personal finances by using different systems, but haven't in their business. And therefore their overall finances are just as bad as ever before. So we need that balance. And it's my you know, personal mission to bring that financial intelligence through simple systems like Profit First to business. So how, how about for the, the guy that's maybe a young entrepreneur, they're trying to figure out how to start a business and they really don't have that much money to start. What, what do you tell somebody like that? Yeah, so uh, been there and it's awesome. Go for it. There's no better time to start a business than today. So the earlier you start, the better off you serve. I would implement the Profit First system immediately. And the reason is you don't know different. You don't know better. And therefore you'll set up smart financial principles from day one. 
That's the first thing to do. The second thing is to realize that the lack of certain resources are actually your biggest ally. So the lack of money is not a problem. It brings about innovation. So low money brings high innovation. The lack of you know, contacts and network is a beautiful thing because now you actually have to have a viable product or service for the market. You got to sell to strangers. That's the best thing you could do. A lack of education and resources like that. Wonderful. Now you will break the industry rules. So be very careful about that feeling or people saying, you know what, you don't have enough money. Ooh, you don't, you don't have a big enough network. Ooh, you have no idea what you're doing. Those are actually the three biggest assets that you do have as a young entrepreneur. I think you're dead on. I always say burn the ships and just go all in. Because I, yeah. I think what's important is you just go for it. Yeah, just just go all in. And then, yeah, the burn the boats, right? That's a, I don't know if that's mythological or real, but the idea is your military lands on an island, you're in the offensive position, which is a weak position, right? You got the defense, the people already have the island. If you have a way to retreat the boats, uh, we're less likely to be aggressive in our assault. So burn the boats so you go forward. You know, the same thing in the business. Burning boats and burning bridges is two different things, though. Like, you know, don't abandon your historical relationships. As you build network and contacts, don't build enemies out of your competitors unnecessarily. Burn the alternatives to exit, but go all in and flourishing relationships. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. So how about, you know, I think we have to ask about COVID, right? Like, I mean, it's the biggest thing that's hit us in the business world. I got my mask right here. I'm ready to roll. Okay, yeah. So how have you... Um, what has what have you seen different as far as the way businesses operate? And I think um, do you, I just think it's flushed out a lot of businesses that weren't uh, fiscally conservative in the beginning. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and also, it also it burned out businesses that were not willing to be responsive. I, I'll just pick on restaurants because we all go to restaurants and, and we know that market from a consumer side so well. Maybe some folks listening in own one. But what happened was, uh, you know, COVID hits. And some of them were not fiscally prepared. They didn't have any runway. They didn't have any reserves. That was a problem. But other ones were not responsive. They said, well, we'll just wait this out. And they sat sidelined for a few weeks and a few months. And they're like, what's going on? Like, this isn't going to be resolved. And those businesses got wiped out because they burned the runway they had. Others started responding, you know, we'll do takeout. And they started modifying. And maybe they sustained, but they're, they're struggling. It's the real innovators that took off. And there's an example, actually, in our own community here. There was a restaurant that teamed up with a food truck. And I said, listen, if, if takeout and delivery is what people are expecting, what they're gonna be getting is person running the pizza or whatever to your house, but you gotta wait an hour and a half because that guy's running deliveries everywhere. There's a big time delay. They teamed up with a food truck. They, they stock it with hot meals at four o'clock in the afternoon and they position these food trucks in different communities. And they say, if you want a hot meal, we can have it delivered to your house in five minutes. And they have these trays ready to go. Their business is booming because they reinvented. That's the opportunity in the COVID crisis. You know, I, 2008 was a great recession. 2020 is the great reinvention. It's an opportunity for us to redefine our industry if we see it that way. And that's what I hope small businesses do. Because if you do, you can't guarantee your success, but you've positioned yourself for success. The analogy I use is there's like a tsunami-sized wave of change going through the economy right now. Customer expectations are radically changed. I expect Zoom, I, you know, meetings, I expect different kinds of safety protocols. I'm expecting new levels of comfort. And the big businesses, as this ex- new expectations roll through the economy, you know, they're in tanker ships. Amazon, the Googles, the Airbnbs, they're in tanker ships. They're lucky to roll over the waves if they can, but they can't capture a wave. 
Small business guys like you and me, we run jet skis. You know, we can throttle and turn and catch the momentum of that wave, and that wave can carry us the distance now. We just have to be willing to adopt and adapt to this wave. And when do you think is a good time for a small business to, to expand, especially like right now during COVID? Is it worth waiting it out, or is it now is the time to go ahead and expand your business? Yeah, well, it all depends on your, your personal circumstances. I mean, I'd really evaluate it. Do you have something that's scalable? You know, I see businesses expand their way into collapse. They're like, oh my God, there's so much opportunity. There's businesses that are going out of business. I'm just going to go in an acquiring frenzy. But the acquirer is not in the position to scale. They don't understand. You know, I got three employees. I don't have to do that. 30 employees sounds just as easy. Oh, no, it's not. It is radically different. Welcome to a whole new business. So it's the lack of preparation and understanding of what it is like to have a roll-up or scaled business that can really throttle company. Do I, as a business owner, have the skill set to move from doing high-end technical work to simply managing an organization, the people, their, their personal passions and interests, and choreographing them and all the technical resources they have and so forth to move the business forward? So it's a real honest discussion. Do we have the capability to scale? Uh, the second question is, are there opportunities out there? I mean, there are real opportunities. You know, when I look at acquiring a business, that's one way to do it. Another way is to bring on more clients. A am I in the position to take them on board? Can I take on new clients and serve them at the same standard level? Are, are those clients expecting what we already deliver? If I'm acquiring a company, is there a cultural fit? Um, does their client base complement our client base? So we have to go through a due diligence period. Um, I'll tell you one thing. Um, when it comes to growing, I found, at least for myself, organic growth beats uh, acquisition growth consistently. And the reason, at least for me, is when a situation like this happens, my competition, some of them, unfortunately, are going out of business or they're really struggling. What that means is they're freeing up prospects to the market. They're losing their customers because they're going out of business or inadequately servicing them. That means the opportunity for me is not to look at acquiring those struggling businesses. It's to look upstream in the market and see the opportunity that's circling around. I would argue the best growth opportunity, at least from my experience in a market like this, is to market. Market better and more specifically than anyone else, and you can win business left and right. And I, another question I really want to ask is when an entrepreneur does really well in their business and they're successful, when is the time for them to decide to maybe not reinvest so much into their business or, or open another business in the same same uh, industry, but to actually diversify and whether it's uh, stock markets or, or real estate or, or into a different venture altogether. When is that right time for an entrepreneur who opens up a small business, they've been really yeah. successful and they're like, I want to go do other things, you know, and build their portfolio. Up. Yeah, the measurement's simple. If the business can grow on its own with the full absence of the owner, I mean, there's no dependency on the owner. I can go on vacation, have a full digital uh, disconnect, a full physical disconnect. The business doesn't even know I exist anymore for a extended period of time and it continues to grow months or a year. Now you have a business that you can move on to other things and you become really desirable as a target acquisition. I mean, think about it. If, if my business gets to the point where it doesn't need me whatsoever and it's creating more and more money, it's, it's landing more and more business. This is a business I don't want to ditch. It's a cash ATM. I can sit on the beach drinking Mai Tais now and the money's rolling in. That's a kind of a good situation. It's also an acquisition target. The bigger fish say, oh my gosh, I want that business. It's turnkey. It doesn't need an owner. I will pay a premium for that. That's where you get a multiple. So if you have a business that has no dependency on you as the owner, if you can get to that point, an, an approvable no dependency on you, now you have something of extreme value. 
you have the freedom to go on somewhere else, retain your business as a cash ATM, or watch those acquirers line up and maybe make a massive exit. Mike, thanks so much for your time. Is there a, where can we find you? If, you, if our listeners want to get more of you, where can they go and find you? you uh, MikeMotorBike.com. It's, it's actually MikeMikalowitz.com, but surprisingly, Nick, no one can spell that. Uh, Mike, <laughs> Mike Motorbike is my nickname from high school. Ironically, I've never driven a motorcycle, but MikeMotorBike.com. If you go there, uh, I'm an author of those books. You can get free chapter downloads. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. You can get that stuff. I even have my own podcast called Mike Up In Your Business. It's all accessible through MikeMotorBike.com. All right, now is the time we're going to solve the equation to your success, Mike. We're going to ask you seven rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I am ready, sir. Okay. I feel like uh, sir. Best seminar teaching you've ever been to? Best seminar teaching? Anthony Robbins. This first seminar I ever went to. I was 20 years old. Maybe I was 18 or 19. Amazing. Favorite item you've bought recently under 100 bucks? I know. I was going to say uh, my UTV, but that was more than $100. Uh, my, uh, it was a knockoff guitar. It was $99. It sits right there. Uh, it's behind my chair, but right there. It is a beater and it sounds amazing. $99. Name an idol or hero of yours that you've met in person. I just met Eric Estrada. Uh, he was from Chips um, and uh, spent a good hour with him. What a extraordinary human being. I don't know if you knew this. After filming Chips, he was a police officer in Chips back in the 70s. He became a real police officer. And could you imagine getting pulled over by Eric Estrada, you know, saying uh, you're getting a speeding ticket? I'd be like, is this a, is this a scam? <laughs> he was cool. Favorite book to give as a gift? Uh, I love giving Giftology, but written by John Rulin. Um, the, he's, it's the concept of giving gifts. The cool thing is John hooked me up with leather-bound copies of his own book. There it is. Yep, Leather-bound copies of that book, and I circulate it with people. It's uh, an amazing book, an amazing gift. Yeah, it's a great book. Something you do every morning before you brush your teeth? I go to the bathroom. I think doesn't everybody? Yeah, that works. <laughs> and I also hit the gym. But uh, I think I do that after. No, no, you know what? I do that before I brush my teeth. I, uh, I go and work out five days a week, not every day. Your personal mantra or favorite quote? Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Oscar Wilde. Place you go to decompress and reset? The bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I love the humor. <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. I think our listeners are going to really grab a lot of good tidbits out of there. Thanks so much. It's been a joy. Thanks, brother. I hope you enjoyed Mike McCallowitz as much as I did. He's very knowledgeable and a, a great author. You got to check him out, check his books out. And he was so, so kind to spend some time with us. I hope you had a paper and pen handy because there's a lot of great tidbits in there. And as always, if you enjoyed the show, rate and review us. Check us out on all social media platforms. And don't forget to check nickbogaz.com for all things related. And we'll catch you next time when we have George Bryan on from the Mind of George podcast. From the Mind of George podcast. George was fantastic. A great guest. He's become a great friend. He's got a lot of great information he's going to share. He's a marketing guru with lots of different products. He gets into how he does that. So if you need to one-up your marketing game, make sure you check into the next podcast when I have George Bryan on. Thanks for listening. I'm Nick Bogaz on the Business Equation Podcast. Give thanks, be humble, be great. 
Thank you for being part of today's business equation. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast so other entrepreneurs and business professionals can find it more easily. Be sure to check out nickbogaz.com for episode archives, social media links, business features, and other engaging resources that can help you on your professional path. And tune in next week as we go back to work to solve another business equation.